Here's a unique one that people kind of laugh at. I've had virtual assistants be asked by male clients to plan dates for he and his wife twice a month or whatever it is. He's like, oh, my wife's complaining that we never have time together. He's like, I told her that we would do dates. I said, all right, well, you're coming home to an unemployed future wife, but I'll figure it out. I remember using the glass doors with dry erase markers, and I had mind mapped everything that a virtual assistant needs to know. And the second thing I would recommend is this job allows me to create my career around my lifestyle, not my lifestyle around my career, which is completely opposite to the old school corporate America way of thinking. All right, my name is Molly Rose Speed. I am from Destin, Florida, and I'm 34 years old. I am the founder of Virtual Assistant Management, a training and placement agency for U.S.-based virtual assistants. Where are you located again? Yeah, Destin, Florida. It's in the panhandle of Florida, that part that people kind of forget about. Originally raised in Iowa, so I have those Midwestern roots, but happy to call this place home for a while. And why don't you tell us a little bit more about your business? Yeah, so 10 years ago, I quit corporate America cold turkey and became what I didn't know what at the time was a virtual assistant serving really amazing online entrepreneurs in the online space, anything from email marketing and email management and scheduling to helping build their websites and their brands and negotiating their speaking fees and everything in between. And along the way, I had several military spouses, that's my background, asking me, how do I do what you do? This looks amazing. You're traveling the world because you have a flexible career and you're earning a great income. And I realized that I had a training on my hands to be able to afford other people this opportunity. So I created a virtual assistant academy and I've trained over 150 virtual assistants in this academy to date. And then along the way, amazing entrepreneurs kept coming to me saying, I want your certified virtual assistants. I need one in my business. And that's what created virtual assistant management, which is our placement agency. So we train them, certify virtual assistants, create a community for professional growth and development, and then place them with outstanding business owners that are in need of, of this type of support. But did you say in the beginning that your friends were asking you when you said you were traveling, were you a virtual assistant for somebody else at first? Yeah. So that's how I learned the craft, the trade, if you will. So when I quit my finance job at the young age of 24, I became a virtual assistant for several business owners. So I've worked with everyone from the startup solopreneur that's just hustling to 14 times New York Times bestselling authors to everything in between. So I have a lot of experience. And, and I love that I've been able to do that because now I'm able to teach virtual assistants just about every facet or personality or different business type that they might run into. And yeah, we'll talk about, I guess, the transition of you leaving like a nine to five and how you actually became a virtual assistant. But yeah, it's just interesting that you were one at first. And then I guess that's how you kind of figured out if other people are asking the same thing, you were able to travel with your husband or do whatever and still work for the same company. And that's what other people were interested in. And that's why you created virtual assistant management. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I always say I kept having the same Starbucks date over and over with stay-at-home moms and, and went military spouses predominantly. And they just kept saying, how do I do what you do? And so that's what created the training portion of the company. And that came first. Okay. And so the training portion of this virtual assistant management. So these are VAs that you have already trained yourself and that you basically give to other people to help them out? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So mostly the virtual assistants that come through my academy it's the first time that they're doing this in the online space. Their backgrounds are very different. Some are nurses, physicians assistants, real estate agents that are just looking for more of a virtual career. And so then I train and place them from there. Others do have an executive background and then they're able to learn and transition. So there's different backgrounds and it doesn't matter. This stuff can be taught to the right type of personality and skill set. And these VAs that you're hiring and then that you source out to other people who need help, where are you finding them and what's their background? I know you talked a little bit, but I don't know if there's a wide variety, if they're all in the U.S., if they're different places around the world. Just give us a little bit more detail on the assistance that you actually train. Yeah, all U.S.-based. Some might be stationed overseas, again, military background, but they're U.S.-based for the most part. And I'd say 80% of our virtual assistants are military veterans or spouses, mostly spouses. And then we have a handful of what we say civilians 
that are not, and they find me on social media. I run some advertising to find students that are interested. And then our network is really, really strong. So we have a really strong referral network of my current virtual assistants referring friends, family, people in their lives that they know this would be a good fit for. And why would someone want to like use your company, I guess, instead of someone like on Upwork or something like that? Yeah, I've had a lot of experience in Upwork myself. And I I always say that you have to be very, very specific when you're outsourcing on Upwork. Sometimes you can find that unicorn in the mix. In fact, some of my virtual assistants have placed their own services on there and had great success. But they're a dime a dozen and it takes a lot of time and testing and trust to build with a contractor on Upwork. Where what we're doing is coming in and providing a very, very professional experience, like our onboarding experience when we work with a new client is very intentional and sets up a business relationship for long-term success from the beginning. And it really is bringing in someone that is a partner in your business, not a legal partner, but I always say they enroll in your vision, right? They become that person, that right-hand person that you can trust, that can kind of catch your ideas and just run with it. That's kind of what you're shooting for with our virtual assistants. So just a completely different level and they can wear a lot of different hats. It makes sense to me because I've had people reach out to me even on Facebook before asking about virtual assistants because I talked a lot about them in the beginning of my podcast. And I mean, I still use them today, but I would say some people would complain. They're like, oh, I posted something on Upwork and I didn't get anybody back or they didn't work out. And I'm like, well, was your expectation that the very first person you're going to hire was going to work? And then that makes them think they're like, okay, maybe it won't. Maybe it is a lot harder because it is harder to you have to go and sift through a lot more garbage, if you will. If you're looking on Upwork, like you said, the very specific task, if they have to clean a data set or if they need to help you maybe... Like for my podcast, some of them do audio editing, but that's a little bit of higher skill set. So, but any simple tasks that are very repetitive that you think that you could easily outsource for a few bucks an hour, that's when it makes sense. But if you have more money and you're a little bit older and you don't want to scrub through 20 interviews to find the best VA on Upwork, I think like a service like yours makes sense. So that's the reason I was asking that. And it's like, again, some people are like, oh, I want to try VA and they go onto Upwork and they have a bad experience and they're like, VAs don't work. Well, Again, I think your kind of company is the perfect in-between for them where maybe they don't have as much patience and they want to just try it out for the first time. And again, I think that will probably help people the most who don't want to go sift through stuff and just try to find someone who's already kind of certified in a certain area that they need help, or maybe they have a background that you've already kind of trained them in. Yeah, great articulation of what I would agree with. I think, and I, again, I use Upwork, but I'm, I'm very specific, just like you said, just this data set or return this graphic with these changes. And I basically lay it out for them before they even create it. I just need them to spoof it up and make it great. But it's a good place to start if you have the time and the patience and you're on a budget. However, just be prepared. (laughs) Right, exactly. And I I think a lot of the people, again, if you have some money and you don't want the $3 an hour and you want someone who's higher in that maybe can build a friendship or a co-working relationship with and maybe has a higher level of education. Again, that's where I think it makes sense for a service like yours. So we talked about the VAs, like I guess that's the supply side. How about the clients that you end up finding? Like what are typically the people that you, I guess, connect with with these VAs? Yeah. So we get a, a really broad range of people inquiring to learn about our services. Predominantly, again, it's just where I spend my time and I can able to network and do business development, but we have a lot of agency owners. So a lot of marketing agencies come to us for virtual assistants, either to do services that they provide to their clients. So for example, maybe they offer newsletter management for clients. A virtual assistant is a perfect person to come in and help do that on your team. So they might specialize in that and almost take their VA hat off and become a newsletter specialist. And then we also attract a lot of speakers, coaches, and authors, kind of that personal development space, that space that online entrepreneurs end up going once they get their business up and running. They kind of step into that CEO level, become speakers, authors, and coaches. So we support a lot of that demographic as well. And how do you find those? Are you going to certain conferences to meet up with those people and say, hey, I got VAs who understand this industry and can help you out? Yeah, everything has been, for the most part, referral-based. In fact, I'm doing podcast interviews, obviously, that's a marketing outlet, but a lot of it's been my own network. And just like you said, attending conferences. So I went to an agency conference and built a really great relationship with a lot of people, and that's just sending weekly referrals. And then I'm part of a lot of personal development groups. Jack Canfield, he's kind of like an older Tony Robbins. 
His community has been also a huge resource of people needing virtual assistance. And then it just, it's a web, it just goes from there. So I'm really learning a lot about the relationship building and your network is way bigger than you actually think it is once you get into this. Like you said, it sounds like it's mostly these personal branding type of people, but is there anything else? I mean, if anyone was listening now that I don't know if there's a certain industry or sector that might be second or third that people who might be listening now maybe could use you. Yeah. High level, I say high power, high earning real estate agents. I think there's a really good market there for virtual assistants. We've supported a lot of them. And real quick, so what would you do for them? So I say high earning, meaning at that level, they have their own brand, essentially. So a virtual assistant can come in and kind of help manage that. Maybe it's your social media, your inbox. Maybe you're doing some coaching for other real estate agents. It's kind of the same thing, coaches, authors, and speakers, but with a different industry. Not that they're supporting real estate agents and out, you know, putting signs in the yard and doing transaction coordination, though that is probably a job a virtual assistant would be good at. It's not necessarily where we place our VAs for roles like that. Another one is financial advisors. They seem to be really in need of virtual assistance, those solo independent financial advisors, managing schedules, booking meetings, calendar invitations, possibly getting paperwork back if that's something they need to do. That seems like another place that we've kind of dabbled in, maybe 10 to 15% of our business. Okay. So it makes sense after you said the real estate person, like, because they own their own business to an extent of kind of personal branding, like you said, or financial advisors, or maybe I'm thinking like insurance people who might kind of have their own company, but it's with a bigger brand. Like, so those types of people, I guess, could just thinking out of ease of like, okay, that would be an easy, fluid client for you, where it's the same type of thing where they're trying to build up their network and do that. So, okay, that seems to make sense. And then one I really want to mention, especially for female corporate executives. So, the C-suite females out there that are moms, we also see a lot of benefit in them hiring personal virtual assistants. So I don't want to just say this has to be a business thing. There's a lot of cases out there where for them, they work seven to six, seven to seven, whatever it is, hustling, and then they have kids at home. So having an assistant able to take care of all the little things that the family needs from afar. So think of daughter might be registered for dance. Is the tutu ordered? Is the schedule on the calendar? Are the grandparents invited and all that communicated? All of that as an example being taken off of a executive's plate allows them to come home, show up for their family, show up for the dance recital and just be there instead of having to do all this stuff when they get home. So there is a, a use case as well for personal virtual assistants. That makes tons of sense. I'm sure some people now are just like, hey, I have plenty of money, but not the time, right? And maybe you don't want to train them on something in the business realm that you want them to do. And you're just like, hey, I need help with exactly what you said. Can you give us more examples if like someone was trying to hire a personal virtual assistant where they can help set up certain things where, again, it's stuff off your schedule. As a family person, you're like, if you can help me out with that, that's obviously helpful too. Yeah, yeah. So managing contractors is a big deal. When I say virtual, obviously having someone in person is very helpful if you have a personal assistant that's local. However, if you want to go virtual or where you live requires to have someone virtual, you can't find the right person, you know, even just having like a ring doorbell or a camera in your doorbell that they're able to see if a contractor shows up, they know when they're there, they can check in, they can give them a call. All that stuff can be handled virtually. So managing all of that is an opportunity. Doing any personal ordering. So might be gifts, groceries, Amazon purchases, just little things that take time doing research on the latest vacuum that they need for their home. And there's all sorts of things. And then lastly, I think travel coordination, if they're not looking for some fancy agency to do it for them. Virtual assistants are very organized and able to really handle travel booking to your preferences. They'll know what your preferences are for airline, time of travel, seat on the airplane, things like that. They can just handle for you. And so you can just, again, show up for your family. I love when the weather starts to warm up, getting out in my yard and digging in my garden. It's one of my favorite parts of spring and Sunday lawn care makes it easier than ever to enjoy. It's time to reclaim your weekend. Sunday Lawn Care can take one thing off your to-do list. Instead of spending time working on your yard, with Sunday, you can spend time enjoying it. Sunday is everything you need to get the lawn you dreamed of. This spring, go to getsunday.com millionaire and enter your address to get a customized plan 
created just for your lawn. No trips to the store or hauling heavy bags since they ship it straight to your home. You just need to hose to apply Sunday. You can fertilize your whole lawn in less time than it takes you to watch an episode of your favorite TV show. And they only use ingredients you can feel good about. No harsh chemicals, no long waiting periods, or trying to keep your kids and pets off the lawn. Simply apply, let it dry, and you're back to enjoying your yard. Sunday is easy and affordable. Some lawn care services cost more than 1500 bucks a year, but... Sunday's full season plans start at just $109. And guess what? Sunday is offering our listeners 20% off. Full season plans start at just $109 and you can get 20% off when you visit GetSunday.com slash millionaire at checkout. That's 20% off your custom plan at GetSunday.com slash millionaire. I'm here with John Austinson. How are you doing today, John? Hey, Austin. Doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, thank you for supporting the podcast. And I interviewed John on episode 250 of this very podcast. So you can hear more about John's story and how he grew Franbridge Consulting right here. But in the meantime, would you mind reminding our listeners what you do and what you could potentially help them with? Yeah. You know, we work with entrepreneurs and investors across the country, helping them get into business ownership through franchising. And when I say franchising, you likely think fast food. And yet there's so many other industries out there from home and property services to health and wellness from kids, pets, the aging population, oil changes, all of these understandable cash flowing businesses that oftentimes are recession resistant. And 90% of our clients end up purchasing an opportunity they never thought about. We work with the largest brokerage in the country, over 600 different franchise companies. Having been a franchisor and franchisee myself, I'm very picky about which ones that we show to our clients, only the best of the best. The great thing, Austin, is it's entirely free to work with us. We're funded by the companies, very much like an executive search type model, so our clients never pay a nickel. And we do more deals for our clients than anybody else in the country. And what does a typical client look like for you? Two thirds of our clients would be looking to keep their day job. They're looking to get into business ownership, maybe as a side hustler, or maybe they're already a business owner and they can't get their full attention. We work with doctors, lawyers, existing business owners, corporate executives, really a wide array of backgrounds all around the country. As far as anyone who might be interested in your service, is there a best way for them to reach you? Yeah, come out to our website, franbridgeconsulting.com. That's F-R-A-N, bridgeconsulting.com. For all of your listeners, Austin, we'll also send them a copy of our new book, either audio or PDF version, or they can purchase it on Amazon. But I would love to share that. Our book is called Non-Food Franchise, and we've gotten great feedback since its release. If you're interested in taking a next step, you know, let my assistant Ashley know, and uh, she'll schedule a call, and we'll discuss your situation and what could be a good fit. Yeah. And I know you've already scheduled a few call with our listeners. Could you just tell them what that typically is like, like how long and if it's free for them to do? Yeah, we've had a great response from your listeners. Entirely free. Because of the caliber of folks that we work with, we cut to the chase. We usually spend 20 to 30 minutes on that first call. And then as the next step, that following week, we'll come to them with opportunities, usually around 10 or so in their market. They're available to check all the boxes. And we talk them through those and then uh, make introductions to the ones that seem most intriguing to them. Well, that sounds awesome. And again, if someone was interested in scheduling a call, where's the best place for them to go ahead and sign up? Yeah, come out to our website, franbridgeconsulting.com, F-R-A-N, bridgeconsulting.com. And uh, we would love to engage. Yes, yeah, so it sounds like travel might be the most helpful and least stuff that I'd have to train them on. Because that way you're working about a flight and a hotel somewhere. And then maybe you have to get something with dinner with clients the night before or something like that. Yeah, here's a unique one that people kind of laugh at. I've had virtual assistants be asked by male clients to plan dates for he and his wife you know, twice a month or whatever it is. He's like, oh, my wife's complaining that we never have time together. He's like, I told her that we would do dates. So the virtual assistant you know, researches where they live and plans these dates every couple weeks. And it takes time. And he shares that he's like, I never would have been able to do this if I didn't have them. And my wife is like, wow, you are planning the best dates. And eventually, you know, he told her that someone else was supporting him, but really helped their marriage and, and kind of helped him as well. Did she end up leaving him and dating the BA? <laughs> and the virtual assistant? No. <laughs> well, I mean, that's probably the best one that I've heard so far, to be honest. Like, so if, if you're doing family trips and stuff too, I mean, that takes a while. Like we we're just talking about if you're just talking, if you're doing your own speaking gigs, like, okay, how many of those are there? But that was a fantastic example that I wouldn't have thought of. So you're saying, yeah, plan dates. Is there anything out of the box that you're thinking other than that? That's probably the biggest one I've seen that's most unique. 
Yeah, that's all that's coming to me right now. Yeah. Well, like I it said, it's, it's basically the idea is like, yeah, if you had your own secretary, what you could kind of have them do. And then hopefully maybe they do it at more of a budget and then you don't have to hire them for 40 hours a week necessarily, I'm imagining. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great point. So the term I like to use is fractional virtual assistant. So you're buying a fraction of their time. So you don't have to pay for 20 hours a week or 40 hours a week. It can be five hours a week, eight hours a week, whatever you need. Well, I'm glad we brought that because that's a huge difference, to be honest, versus like, okay, if I need them for five to 10 hours a week versus 40, to me, sometimes it's hard to just even brainstorm stuff like we're trying to brainstorm stuff. But let's say it's five hours a week and then they're making sure that, like you said, doing the dates or doing a family trip every couple of months, you know, coming up with that for you. So they can easily hire them that way as well. Yep, absolutely. Well, hopefully we gave everyone some ideas because, again, it's been a while since I've talked about VAs. And I get no kickback or anything for referring them to you. I'm just bringing up ideas of how people could use VAs and hopefully reach out to you. So do you want to say your best way for them to reach you now? And then we'll talk about it at the end too, again, I guess, what's your website? So if they could look at it while we're speaking now. Yeah, virtualassistantmanagement.com. All right. Well, yeah, let's go into the business of how you started this and how you created it. So you said you were born in Iowa? Yeah, born and raised in Iowa, went to Iowa State University. Wait, but where were you in Iowa? Born and raised. Dubuque. It's on the river. Population 70,000 people. Great place to, to grow up. I don't even know how you spell Dubuque. <laughs> D-U-B-U-Q-U-E. It's French, I think. Okay, good. I was testing you because Google just told me as I was Googling it. All right. <laughs> so yeah, you went there in Iowa and I don't even know if I've had anyone from Iowa on. So that's right on the corner, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It's the tri-state. So where Illinois, Wisconsin and Iowa meet. We have a joke that people wave when they fly over because no one actually visits Iowa. Gotcha. And so, yeah, you were born and raised there until you were 18 and then you went to University of Iowa? I went to Iowa State, the Cyclones. Mm -hmm. Where is that? It's in Ames, Iowa, just north of Des Moines. Okay. So not too far away from home? Like how was the drive and everything? Yeah, like three hour drive, which was, was great. My dad ended up having a lot of health issues, so it was absolutely perfect. I originally went to St. Louis University in St. Louis. And then transferred. I wanted that state school feel. And, and for so many reasons, it was the best decision. One of the best decisions I ever made. Why was it one of the best? I bet my husband there. I had what I think was probably one of the best college experiences. Great education. They have a good business school. So it was, it was just a great time of my life that I'll always be grateful for. Okay. And so when did you graduate from Iowa State? Let's see. I always do this wrong. 2010. And did you go get a nine to five right afterwards or what was your first job? I did. I did. I was that good student, got a good GPA, and I got hired by a furniture manufacturer out of a little town called Muscatine, Iowa. It's on the river as well, south of the Quad Cities. And I was in their finance rotation program. So my first job, my first rotation was to being a cost accountant in a plant, like a factory plant. <laughs> I learned a lot about accounting, about people mostly, you know, because I'm working with factory workers, which was amazing. And I loved every minute of it, but knew that it probably wasn't for me. So I was really excited for my next rotation, which was six months in, and I was in, in internal audit. And I really enjoyed that. I was at the corporate office, a little fancier, took my steel-toed shoes off and got to travel with my team. And, and we did plant audits essentially around the country. Well, how was it when you went to Muscatine because that's even a smaller town. Oh, like. gosh. Yeah. I ended up living in uh, Davenport, which is also on the river, and just commuting the 20 minutes. So it wasn't as bad, but certainly I knew I didn't want to live there forever. Yeah. Did your husband follow you there after he graduated too? No. So he's active duty. So he went to pilot training during this time, living his best life. So we visited each other about every eight weeks. Where's pilot training? For him, it was in Mississippi. Columbus, Mississippi. And it was fun. Fun to visit. Yeah. Would you have to fly down there and visit him down there? Yeah. Every couple months or so. All right. Was it lonely being in Davenport? No, I had a lot of college friends that got jobs, similar corporations or John Deere is also in the same town, their headquarters. So we're at big engineering school at Iowa State. So a lot of college kids went there. So it was all right. It was okay. Well, no, I mean, that definitely helps because I mean, was he just your boyfriend at the time too? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, if you're just in this small town, because I looked at the Muscatine, I'm like, dude, that's pretty freaking small. And mm -hmm. if, especially if you're not with your husband, but yeah, I guess if you're a little bigger town, that's a little further up and you got friends, that makes a world of difference versus if you'd have just been in Muscatine with no friends, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. 
And so you were there for a couple of years or what happened? Only a year. Pilot training has this thing called drop night where you decide it's this very dramatic, fun evening where they basically get their first assignment. And I thought for sure he was going to Clovis, New Mexico, which is in the middle of nowhere, New Mexico on the border of Texas. And he dropped Florida where we're at now. And I didn't even ask. I just said, okay, so I'm, I'm moving. <laughs> I'm totally moving to Florida. So that's what transitioned me to the Emerald Coast. And so was he stationed in, when you said Florida, was it in Dustin? Yeah, an airbase called Hurlburt Field, just about 15 miles west of Dustin. Okay. And so you all moved that way. And then I imagine, like you said, you probably had to get a new job. Yeah, moved this way. And out of college, I wanted to work at Target. They had a management program that I had friends do. My sister had done 15 years prior. We're quite different in age. And I didn't land my interview in college and I was really upset about it. So I reapplied down here and I had an internal referral and ended up getting the job. And if anyone isn't familiar with this role, it's an executive team leader at Target. And I love the company, but they really make you a leader at a young age. So at 23 years old, I keys to the Target in Destin and 120 team members underneath me. We had divisions. So I was responsible for a portion of them managing them, but any given time, we're all managers of the whole store. So that was an extremely amazing, challenging year of growth and leadership abilities, I guess. I didn't know I had, and I, I loved it, but you work so hard in those roles. So what were the challenging things that you did while you were the executive team leader at Target? Everything. So having to performance manage people that are 20 years my senior, that was a very interesting experience and learning how to communicate and, and do that very well. Target does these floor resets and I was executive team leader of what they called hard lines. So everything not clothing in the store was my responsibility. So everything from grocery to cleaning to patio and holiday resets and stocking issues. So all of that was on me. And one of the big things they harp on is the end caps. There's all this science of how people shop in Target and, you know, if your end caps weren't right. Or, so it was just, a, it was a lot of stress of juggling. How do you do what I felt was like 80 to 100 hours of work in a week in 50 to 60? It worked a lot when we worked there. So that was a, a huge learning, like time management and then how to delegate to a team, which I'm actually putting this all full circle of how I can do what I do now very well. So that was, that was also a huge growth opportunity. So I had five managers beneath me and then we had team members beneath them. So I was able to delegate to them and teach them how to use their team members effectively. Also got really, really great at scheduling for output of getting all of this stuff done. So that was really a huge thing as well. So can you give us some specific examples? I guess you kind of talked in general about like talking to people who are older and giving them feedback or I guess some of the other things. Is there anything specifically that you can remember that maybe something we could learn from? Yeah. So when you know that a team member or someone on your team isn't in the right role and you work for a company where you have to document everything, things when you hire contractors are a little different. Your contract agreements are very basic where you say within 30 days, if this isn't working out or we have a 30 day notice. Well, when you hit the corporate side, you have to really document conversations along the way, which is really helpful because it allowed me to have the opportunity to coach them on what they needed to do, see if it would happen, see if the change would be made in their behavior or their output, and then either reward or have to re-coach again. So I went through a really long six-month period with a certain team leader to do this, where we would just go up and down and up and down of it would get really good, then it would get really bad, then it would get really good, then it would get really bad. And I think I see that sometimes just in the humans that I engage with on a daily basis, whether it's a client or a virtual assistant, we come in and coach them. But this experience really helps me now and today about understanding people. Everyone goes through something, having some level of grace, but at what point do you say, you know, I'm still running a business at the end of the day. Like I still had to meet numbers for Target to be successful in my own role. So that was an example of kind of how I really had to apply communication skills and just staying on someone constantly while really enjoying them as a person. And ultimately, they ended up being performance managed up, which means I didn't have to let them go. So it was a success. I don't know what happened when I left, but it was a rough time, but also really, I think, makes me better at what I am doing today. So did you leave after basically like a year or so just because you were just kind of burnt out? Yeah. 
Yeah, a common theme, right? So first job left for travel or had to move. So that was not necessarily on me. Second job, I kind of mentioned you work 50, 60 hours a week. But on top of that, you know, you start, you only have 10 days of vacation, you get six holidays, and then you also have to work the holidays, right? So Black Friday, I get to the store at 10 o'clock on Thanksgiving night or whatever. And then on every, you have to work every other weekend and your shifts change. Sometimes you have to be there at 4 a.m. Sometimes you have to be there at 2 p.m. It's just a crazy lifestyle. It ends up paying off as you grow in your roles and get promoted. But I knew that wasn't for me. And I was just, I was burnt out. My husband was deploying a lot and I knew I wanted more out of this. So I'd put some applications in to local area businesses back in the finance space because that's what I went to college for. And I got hired at a, a hospital system and I was a financial analyst. And I was very, very excited to get into healthcare, but quickly learned that I need to be very, very productive in anything that I do. And it was a very slow paced environment for me and not something I wanted to do. So that's why I left very quickly. Okay. So yeah, you left, I guess, both those about after a year. But before we talked about the financial analysts, or and then we can jump forward. One thing I forgot to bring up, you can hire the perfect person, like you were saying, like a VA, but they could be having marital issues or issues with their kid in the hospital or something like that. And like you were saying, the up and downs of people, that's hard to always put in perspective too, that sometimes maybe when you hired someone, let's say if I hired someone up work or something like that, maybe they're just going through a bad point in their life and maybe they're good in a month and maybe they're not good in a month, but because we're not robots. And I think sometimes everyone thinks we are, you know, or I have to tell myself that sometimes I'm like, if I'm just lagging along when I'm working, I'm like, dude, I've got to take a 30 minute break, an hour break, whatever. Cause I hate pretending to work and not actually working. I'm like, yes. if I want to work, I'm going to work. If not, then I want to enjoy my life. You know, I'm going to go relax. I'm going to do whatever. I don't run, but I'll go to the gym or something like that. I think that was an important thing that you said when you were talking about you had an employee or whatever that goes up and down. And sometimes they're good and sometimes they're not good. And it's kind of figuring out each person's a little bit different and what can motivate them and hopefully keep them motivated overall in general, even if they have the ups and downs. But I could definitely see how at least that experience before we talked about the financial analysts thing, how that would help you with your personal virtual assistance today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy you brought that up. And the term I've been using lately, because I think everyone's, we're coming out of the pandemic and yeah, hopefully <laughs> we'll see news, news this week. I, I, I think every, I think everyone has decided that no matter what, we're never going back into we're it for the, for the rest of our lives. Cause I was just telling you, I was trying to plan another trip and I'm like, I'm always like a little worried about that, but yeah, yeah. Again, hopefully we're out of it. But it's changing people's behaviors. It's like we, we have to make up for the past two years. So everyone's moving really fast or jumping to conclusions or like, oh, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And the term I keep using with everyone is just practice the pause for a second. Like just take a breath, just kind of what you said, like whether it's your day-to-day -day work and you're just not actually being productive or you're having a, a hard time with a team member or a contractor, like just take a second, maybe check yourself or check their point of view or consider a different alternative and, and just kind of see where that takes you. That makes total sense. Like I just try to emotionally detach, right? And just relax for a minute. Like I want to send off this email, like F you, right? But you can put it in your draft inbox and not press send and wait, yeah. wait three hours and see if you still feel the same way. Exactly. You probably won't. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you. There's daily, I wouldn't even say a daily occurrence for me. It's probably like every other day where I'm like, damn, Austin, you're like, yeah, you killed it today. You did a great job. And then other days I'm like, man, you're a piece of shit today. You didn't do anything, you know, like, I, <laughs> yeah. so the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur or anybody else, it's like, I think we all go through that. Or maybe that's just me. I don't know. I, it's just important to keep in perspective, like overall, just always looking back from time to time. I was like, okay, I got this far and it's taken this long. Nothing's going to be overnight. So yeah, you're saying after Target, you went to a financial analyst position for healthcare system for about a year, and then you got tired of that because they weren't moving fast enough. And I could see that being like very, I don't know, there's so many levels of clearance you have to get to get something approved and stuff like that. That's what you're saying that you got just tired of? Yeah, that and like, I think ultimately what I wanted was some type of control over my schedule and freedom, not only because my military affiliation, like th that lifestyle that that brings, but also it's just in my nature. I've been traveling since I was a young child overseas. So it's like, this isn't what I want. And, you know, again, eight to five, had to be there at eight, had to leave there at five, no matter what my workload was, couldn't go work at a coffee shop in the afternoon. This little stuff where I'm like, they didn't have it figured out. And I, maybe they have now since a lot of things have changed in the past 10 years with people needing more flexibility and working remote. 
but I just knew really quickly I'm done with this. And that's what led me to being a VA. So how were you able to become a VA from that nine to five as a financial analyst? Yeah. So I quit cold turkey, didn't have anything lined up. I got married. Yeah, real quick. Yeah. So so what, you got married first or married afterwards? Married after. Okay. And then did you tell your husband that you were quitting? Yeah, I did. He was actually deployed at the time and he was coming home. We were going to get married five days after he got home from a deployment. And I said, all right, well, you're coming home to an unemployed future wife, but I'll figure it out. And we were young back then. We didn't necessarily have the income we do today. Well, plus he gets paid twice as much if you get married, right? Is that how that works or no? Oh, no, 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 no. He gets that. I don't know. Like maybe 300 bucks a month. Oh, damn. Okay. It's not nearly as much as I've heard. Okay. Yeah. Because I thought that was an incentive. Like if you see a lot of military, like get married at 18 and what, it's because they get an actual raise from the military, it seems like. But I guess it's not as significant as I thought. No, your cost of your housing allowance goes up. And then your, of course, benefits. You know, I'm sure that's probably the biggest reason why I think people rush to the altar, if you will, because the benefits are amazing if you married someone. And then, so yeah, you married your husband, your unemployed wife. Yep. And he's like, all right, you got four to six months. Let's get this figured out. Well, I had a job lined up three months later. Someone had posted on a, a Facebook post that they were crowdfunding for a student debt documentary. And I had met them at a conference the year prior, a conference that actually just kind of changed, shifted everything. I learned what an entrepreneur was for the first time, because back then, that's not really what you learned in school. And I learned that you could get paid for a service or a skill set that you can offer other people as a service. So their application required a, a video. So I created this video, spent all day Saturday doing this little application. And I got hired as their social media manager to crowdfund this student loan documentary. We successfully met our goal of $75,000 and eventually sold the documentary to CNBC. And it's been shown on major networks as well. So that was a really cool opening to the virtual space. And it was just someone you met at a conference and you're, you're like, hey, will you hire me? Someone I met at a conference. Yep. How much were you making? 2500 bucks a month, which was a lot for that role. Yeah. And, and then the founder of this documentary lost his assistant during this four-month period. So I said, hey, you want to hire me? He said no three times. And finally, I asked him again. He's like, okay, we'll, we'll try it out. So I started at seven fifty a month, you know, just for low, I, I think maybe 20 hours back then. And then within a month, I had doubled my retainer and I worked with him for eight years and now I still do marketing for him. I guess when you're doing it for like the documentary at first, were you just doing 20 hours a week or were you not doing 40 or like how was that you were able to get the second person and I guess make those hours work? Yeah, I wasn't on like an hourly output on that social media management contract. So it was literally just get the job done, like do the job and I did it in full. So I don't actually remember the amount of hours I was working, but then adding in the next client for about 10 hours a week, the founder that I just mentioned. And then that just snowballed everything. He's very well connected. I did a really great job. So then the referrals started rolling in, the experience started to build. And then I took on several, several clients over the years and also did a lot of project work. And what's important too is if someone's even listening now, hey, I don't want to hire a virtual assistant, but maybe I want to become one. Having different income coming in from different clients is such a benefit versus if you just had one person and then you get fired, you're kind of screwed. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was, it was good that you're able to see that in the beginning, especially if you do something on an output basis and not like, oh, I have to sit here for 30 hours a week and do nothing. Because usually those entrepreneurs who are hiring, they just want whatever's done. They don't care how many hours, if it took you one hour versus 10 hours. If you did a great job in one hour versus someone who might have done a crappy job at 10 hours, they'd rather have the one hour person, obviously, for two reasons. It was faster and is better. So yes. All right. So you did that for a couple of years. You just kept getting more clients after this documentary? Yeah, I did it for several years. I really enjoy supporting online entrepreneurs. And a lot of the education I do now is there's all these different levels of assisting people. And I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but virtual assistants, then there's operations managers and director of operations and outsource COO is a term that gets thrown around a lot. And I use those terms loosely because those in the corporate field are actual levels of professionalism where in the online space, like there, it's just a way for us to show different value that you're coming in at, like your expertise just grows and grows and you're no longer a virtual assistant. That doesn't last very long. If you're really good, you get into these operations manager roles. And so that's what I did for several clients throughout the years. 
And then did you stay, I guess, in Destin from this point forward the whole time? Yeah. So the irony of this is a big reason why I left the corporate job was, you know, eventually we're going to move. We're probably going to get stationed in that podunk New Mexico town that I explained at the beginning because all of my friends were, but we never did. My husband restationed, and I'm using air quotes here, but it was to a base that was also local. So that's what kept us here. And now he's a reservist. So now we own where we want to live. We now decide. So been here for 12 years this August. Okay. And so as you were getting more and more clients, was there at some point where you had too many and you're like, hey, I should probably train somebody to help me out and just make my own business doing this instead of me being the person who's doing the business? Yeah, certainly. So I'm a yes person. I want to help everyone that comes to me. So that was definitely a huge learning, taking on too much and then having to outsource essentially or just pass a client on to another virtual assistant that I knew. That was kind of eye-opening. Like, wow, people are attracted to my services. They're coming in a lot, asking for my support. So I knew that the demand was there for high-level virtual assistants. But really what catapulted it was the need among so many women that I saw my age, a lot of them having kids and having to leave their corporate job or having to move and travel or just having the innate desire to have time freedom. You know, I always say this job allows me to create my career around my lifestyle, not my lifestyle around my career, which is completely opposite to the old school corporate America way of thinking. So as you found those people, were they just like you had spoke about it earlier on, but a lot of them were, I guess, wives of husbands that were in the military. Were you just going to meetups or something without your husband there or with your husband there? And that's how you're meeting these women. And then they were just asking about your job. And that's kind of how it worked out. Yeah. So the spouses network on any military base is big and very involved. So everyone knew what I was doing among those groups, but it really just became you know, I trained five virtual assistants and then they implemented what I taught them very successfully. Well, tell us about your first training, like how you did that, because it, you know, especially your first time, I guess like you said, you might have been able to use some target experience on how you're able to train or whatever. But just tell us how the first training went. Did they all meet up at your house or did you actually do it online? Just curious how you started from the beginning. Everything was pre-recorded videos and then we did coaching calls in between. And the way I formulated all of this was I kind of mind mapped. I was actually with a girlfriend in St. Augustine, not too far from you. And we were in a hotel room and I remember using the glass doors with dry erase markers and I had mind mapped everything that a virtual assistant needs to know, all the buckets and those included, what are your service offerings? Who are you going to support? How are you going to market yourself? What does your social media now look like? And how does it change to the numbers, pricing, contract proposals? How do you onboard and communicate with a client? And then outsourcing of your own. How do you find contractors when you don't know how to do something? And then in addition to that, there's also all this, the skills that a virtual assistant needs to know. So I started with the business side of it because virtual assistants do run their own businesses most of the time, unless they work through an agency. And so that was the first iteration, the six modules, if you will. And then I just started creating tech tutorials as fast as I could. And then we do coaching sessions and they would ask me questions and I, I was able to fill in the gaps. So I've since redone the program three times to what it is today. So it's really up to date. And so that's kind of how I, I did it. And so did they pay you upfront for this or like how did the paying work for just the training for them? But then after you found them clients, how did that work? Yeah. So back in the day, I only trained virtual assistants. They were responsible for finding their own clients. And there's actually a great lesson in my program that tells you exactly what to do. And it works. At least that's what I see my virtual assistants. They follow the directions and they get a client. I'm like, this is amazing. Okay. They don't need me. So that's what it was for a really long time. And they would pay a course fee, an academy course fee. And then they were welcome to go off on their merry way and run their own virtual assistant businesses, which many of them did. And then about three and a half years ago, that's when the placement agency, virtual assistant management was established. And that's when we started doing the agency placements. And was that much harder to calculate or keep track of money and whatnot versus if I make a course, they pay whatever they're done. Obviously, you want them to be successful so you get more VAs training, but it seems like it's a little more difficult if I'm making a pass-through company that I'm taking some of these VAs and then finding them clients and then making sure I'm getting paid right and all that. So can you just tell us the differences and the issues with that? Yeah. So, and still something I, I vet every day because I took up essentially a passive business and made it an active business with the agency side of it. I just saw a huge need among my network of what are now clients 
needing these virtual assistants and an ability to kind of charge a premium for having these certified virtual assistants that I've trained myself because they all come to me and want to hire me and I'm not able to do that anymore. So I put a placement manager in place. She's a prior virtual assistant who also had HR experience from her corporate jobs over the years. And she runs the show. She is my backbone for making the perfect placements, if I use my own words, really well. She's very, very good at vetting what the client really needs because that's where it really starts and getting them clear, crystal clear. They think they're clear, but they're probably not. Not only in what they need a virtual assistant to do, but what software do they use? What type of personality do they have to pair up with then a virtual assistant on our team who we just innately know really well because we've trained them and worked with them? And then we make those matches. And then how about the contract that you have with the client to the VA? Yes. So if they go through our agency, the client contracts directly with us and we have our agreements with our virtual assistants. And then if there's any contracts that the virtual assistant needs to complete because the client requires it, things like NDAs or anything with proprietary information or confidentiality agreements that they need legally, then they can obviously sign those between them. But I mean, as far as just like tracking time, do you give them like 20 hours a week to certain people and then they just kind of track it themselves? Our virtual assistants are all on retainers, meaning the client is securing a time commitment of them each month that benefits the virtual assistant because they have the time set aside for the client and vice versa for the client to know that they have these dedicated hours. So we require a minimum of 20 hours a month. So you can really start small if you need to as a client, and then it can just go up from there. Virtual assistants keep time trackers. They use Toggle, which is a common time tracker that they're able to track their time, what they worked on. So then if the client asks for it, we have that available for them. And then they turn in their timesheets to us. We verify it with the client and invoice. It's simpler after you kind of explain it like that. But I imagine just even at the beginning, it's still way different than just, again, the course that I'm purchasing and kind of done versus managing people, right? That's much more difficult. I remember my neighbor, who was older dude, he's just like, you know, managing people is kind of the hardest thing because it's not like a program. Absolutely. That's why the due diligence up front of making the best placement we can is so, so important because if we miss a step or we cut a corner, meaning we don't have that deep dive discovery call because the client said this just happened yesterday. They didn't want to. They're like, I already told you what I need. No, we need to really hear it from you like three or four times. You need to sign off on documents because things change so much. If we don't do that, we see a lot of breakdown down the road. So it's so important for anyone you're hiring to have that clarity up front. That makes sense. And then what year was exactly when you started the virtual assistant management? Uh, I'm time traveling here. So 20, end of 2017, 2018. Yep. Okay. And did all of it work out the way you thought it would as far as going from VA training to becoming a provider of VAs? So I've learned a lot. You know, I had the training down. I still do. And that's where my passion is. But it's a lot of learning, just kind of the conversation we just had. Like We're really getting to know people and having to set boundaries in place or the type of client you'll serve versus not serve. So we're still learning. We're still adapting. Our pricing has changed over the years. We started really low, recognized the amount of work that goes into placing someone. So that's changed a little bit. The value is there. And then even just the service offering that we offer about recognizing that the onboarding process is so critical to any type of new hire relationship. So that's been a huge addition in the past year that we've added. We actually have a service for that now. So when you're onboarding a new team member, you know, we handhold for the first month. So a lot of tweaking. We're still always assessing how can we make this more efficient? How can we make this better? Limiting any challenges that the client has or the virtual assistant has is always the goal. I'm here with Megan Bennett. How's it going, Megan? It is going great. How's my favorite podcast host and the most handsome young man? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for stating the obvious, Megan. But we're here to talk about you and your company, Light Years Ahead. I interviewed Megan on episode 177 of this very podcast, and she helped all of our Patreon members on Group Call 3. So you can hear more about Megan and how she helped our Patreon members there as well. So would you mind telling us what you do and how you could help our listeners, Megan? Yes. So my agency is light years ahead and we're boutique, but we're a national PR firm. We're women owned and we focus on emerging brands, experts and services in the consumer lifestyle space. We're based throughout the U.S. We're in New York, Kansas City, L.A. and Dallas. And we really specialize in maximizing media exposure for brands and experts, which can then create more sales and brand awareness and influence buying decisions. 
Our clients range everything from small startups looking to make a name for themselves to large brands that are trying to become relevant again. My agency, Light Years Ahead, we target the very top editors, writers, and producers across all different media outlets. And we've been doing this for over 20 years, which has earned us a very strong reputation with the top media, with outlets like BuzzFeed, Today Show, Good Morning America, Refinery29, Pop Sugar, Forbes, and many more. We can help you grow your brand into a household name. Well, that sounds awesome. So if someone might be interested in your service, what's the best way for them to reach you? Oh, the best way to reach out is to email me at Megan, M-E-G-A-N, at lightyearsahead.com. That's Megan at lightyearsahead.com. Or you can check out our services and capabilities at lightyearsahead.com, our website. And I know you've helped a few of our past guests as well with their PR, and they do sing your praises. So hopefully you can help some of our listeners as well. Absolutely. And we love working with your listeners and entrepreneurs who are really passionate about what they're doing. And this is what we want to offer your listeners. The first five listeners that schedule a call with us to develop a PR campaign will receive $500 off their first month of services with us. It's a great deal. Awesome. And one more time, what's the best place for them to reach you to take you up on that offer? You can reach me at Megan at lightyearsahead.com or check out our website at lightyearsahead.com or you can go to our Instagram page at L-Y-A-P-R. And let's pretend I'm, I guess I'm a client and want to hire a VA from you. If I want to just do like the 20 hours a month, do you have a minimum or if it's an average or just so people have at least costs in their head too? Yeah, absolutely. So we have two models. You can directly hire the virtual assistant. We have a placement fee. And that changes over time. So I'm not going to mention that right now because I don't know where that's going. But you're looking at $12.97 to start, maybe a little higher as we go. And then we have an agency model where we have a, a small placement fee and the virtual assistant is a minimum of $35 an hour for 20 hours a month. What are you talking about? What's $12.97? So we have a direct placement fee. Okay. $1,000. Yep. Okay. Yep. When you said twelve ninety seven, I'm like, I didn't know it was twelve ninety seven an hour or whatever. Okay. Oh, thanks for clarifying. Yep. yep. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, that seems like it makes sense and it's definitely reasonable. And as you've done this, I don't know if we've looked back on any of the hardest experiences that you've had because I I know we're kind of nearing the end of virtual assistant management. Unless there's anything you want to take us through the last couple of years that you've learned through growing your own business here, the actual virtual assistant management versus the education portion. So this is one, especially if there's business owners or people that have gone from being the service provider to them being the founder or, or running the actual company that provides the service. Something that I've really struggled with that I'm learning the hard way is to stop being the assistant, stop being the doer. So for example, when something breaks down or a virtual assistant maybe misses something, I personally would step in and just take care of it. And that's really biting me for so many levels. Mentally, it takes me back into my virtual assistant days, which is not bad. It's just I need to be operating at a higher level now. And so that's been really interesting. And then it's also very, very confusing for the client because they're getting different outputs from the service. So standardizing that is super important. I'm trying to do that as much as I can, but there's that human element that we keep talking about. So that's, I say, currently like my biggest challenge, like really stepping into owning a company that's having really good success and making a huge difference instead of being the service provider. Well, how about personally while you've been growing the business? You know, everyone talks about balance. So I'm sure that's been said <laughs> quite a bit before, but that's probably the number one thing for me. You know, my husband and I are great with communication. And just the other day, he's like, you know, you don't turn it off. It's 8.30 and you're on your computer. So I've been really diligent about my computers shut by 8 p.m. every night if I do have to log in after dinner not only from us having our evenings together, but also just like strain on your eyes and how that affects your sleep. So having to just put boundaries. I'm a person that has, if you have a task list in front of me, like I will think about that thing until it's done. And so just kind of getting back into, it's okay if it gets done tomorrow. It's okay if I pick that back up tomorrow, which is really funny because when I worked in corporate America, that's how it always was. You just left and it was there tomorrow. So much. Like that's one other thing too, is like, I always think I'm like, man, it'd be nice to have a nine to five where you can turn it off, right? Like all the time. But then it's like, well, I have a personality where I would get bored of that if you're just kind of being lazy and it's, it doesn't really matter if you get it done. There's positive and negatives to entrepreneurship, right? And just thinking that way that it is almost impossible to turn it off. But it's funny if you got the same task and you had a nine to five, you'd be like, oh, I can turn it off. It's fine. 
Yeah, and I envy the people, you know, you see on TV in the office or whatever, where they're standing next to the coffee maker. If I was working in the hospital, I'd like go down and get a coffee. It'd take me you know, 20 minutes to get on the elevator, wait in line, talk to some people. And I don't have that now. If it's between eight and five, or if I'm working, I'm working. I'm not just shooting the shit. So I, I miss that. I envy that a little bit. What I've done sometimes is just go outside and water the garden or something to get some sunlight, to be honest, because that's the main thing is this. You physically, if you go outside and do something, for, even for 15 minutes, you actually feel so much better when you come back that I'm like, okay, even though I'm like, I'm not really quote unquote doing work, getting sunlight, doing something else, getting my mind off of it. And you can actually think about something clearly and not look at a monitor. That helps a ton. So anyone who works from home and kind of experiences that, it sounds like you do and I do because we both work from home that you have to kind of remember that you don't have that opportunity to go to the water cooler like you're saying. You need to take those mental breaks and get outside the house and just do something. Walk the dogs during the middle of the afternoon. Go do whatever you can to switch things up and not just be like a hermit in front of your computer. Yeah. And you said it. It makes you way more productive, more creative. It's just everything's better when you do that. So you just have to get up. If you wear like a smartwatch, listen to it when it tells you to stand up. For sure. Absolutely. Well, I guess one other thing that you, I was thinking is like, yeah, if you're working until 8 or 8.30, you could actually just hire a virtual assistant to make dates for you, you know? Mm -hmm. That's what you told me in the beginning. I guess you didn't like me going full circle with that, but. No, absolutely. <laughs> oh, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't do that on Fridays. I'm, I'm, I'm good at checking out on Fridays. That's good. Well, yeah, I guess overall, how about personally other than checking out? I mean, I guess it was easy to make friends when you moved down there. What was the transition when you moved to Destin? Oh, Yeah. Again, military communities. I have so many good things to say about the military. And one of them, I've made friends with some of the most amazing people. So they'll be friends forever. The sad thing is I've stayed here, which my people might say, wow, you're so lucky. But my best, best friends have all left. Everyone's left. So when they're off to DC or Germany or California, cool bases and places. And so I think that that's been challenging. We're ready to start our own path. We're, we're looking at moving probably in the next 18 months to two years, hopefully, and maybe end up in Colorado or somewhere cool. Just get out and experience different places. Well, let's say if I did hire a virtual assistant from you, or maybe I would go off and I'm a younger person, I want to experiment with Upwork or try that route. What are like some common mistakes you see from people who actually employ the VAs or, or maybe tips that you might have to might help people out who are new to the VA world or maybe their experience and they want to just make sure that they're doing a good job? Yes, I have three things to share. You can learn so much about the person that you're hiring just by how they email you, how they deliver assets that you're asking them to do, following simple instructions to know if they're paying attention. And that's key one of being a virtual assistant, like be type A, if you can find them, that's a really good quality. So when you work ongoing with a virtual assistant, and I guess this goes with any team member, we've talked a lot about clarity and that's super important. But having a communication tool, I recommend Asana. There's Monday, there's Notion, there's tons out there. ClickUp, I think, is a new one that everyone's really excited about. But it creates a place where all the tasks, not only the virtual assistants, but also the business owners or the person hiring the virtual assistants tasks can be because it really is a full circle week, right? So it's important for the virtual assistant to know what you have going on and vice versa. So if they're waiting for something from you, for them to execute their job, they can see all the things that are on your plate or possibly that you have things that are on your plate that they can, hey, I finished this. I noticed that you're working on this. I can help. So it just creates that co-working, if you will, support. And it's also a place where there's transparency. You can see where things are past due. You can write notes in there on the status of things, upload files, communicate with one another. It keeps you out of email. And so I, I really like that, especially if you have more than two team members. That's really great as well. And the second thing I would recommend is having those check-in points. You know, I have clients that say they're virtual and they treat them like they're contractors overseas, which really bothers me. Like, again, we're talking about US-based virtual assistants in my world and have that relationship with them. Pick up the phone and have either a Monday afternoon. I always say Tuesday by 10 a.m. You should have had your status call because sometimes Mondays are a little crazy. Ask them how their weekend was. It takes a few minutes. Like, Be personal with it. It goes a long way and builds that relationship and keeps retention, honestly, and have that check-in. What's going on? This is what I have on my plate. Any questions? All right, let's go. And you can also do that at the end of the week if needed. I never did that as a virtual assistant, but I do see a lot of success with a lot of clients and virtual assistants doing that. 
And then my third tip is watch how you communicate with your virtual assistant. And what I mean by that is what avenues you use. So the worst thing for a virtual assistant is getting tasked via email, Asana, Slack, Google Hangouts, Skype, text message, Zoom calls, and they're just Voxer is another tool I use. It's a walkie-talkie app that I highly recommend. And imagine being a person getting tasked with this from all these different avenues. As a client, you're just asking for them to burn your hours because it's going to take a lot of time for them to organize all of this. You're really not setting them up for success because you're all over the place. It's really hard to track communication. And then for the virtual assistant to say, hey, you asked for this, and it creates an ability for the client to say, that's not what I meant. So there's a lot of just gray area when you do that. So I highly recommend having two avenues of communication. One being your project management tool like Asana. If you don't want to be fancy, if you're not into tech, you can just use an Excel spreadsheet if you want to of this week's tasks and then check things off. And then the second is what's your preferred communication tool outside of that Monday morning call? I love Voxer. I think it's awesome because it's, again, a walkie-talkie app. So if I have a question for you asking about a podcast graphic or something, I can say, hey, when you get to this, I have a question about this. Where can I find it? That can certainly be done in Asana, but sometimes things need to be verbalized and it just creates that avenue and allows for the virtual assistant to be on the clock when he or she goes to check that message versus getting a text message on Friday night at 10 p.m. So it just keeps things a step away from your personal life and keeps everybody kind of on the same page. Right. Yeah. Because if they text me and I saw it, like you said, Friday night and I needed to do it on Tuesday. Well, I forgot because I looked at it. I'm not going to respond to you as Friday night. So it's just being organized. Like you have to be organized and just, I always think if I was in that position, yeah, I've never understood people who try multiple platforms to reach the same person to do. Yeah. Just tell them what works best. And then like you said, I guess you have this kind of a second one with Voxer being a little bit different, but it's the same idea. You need one main communication channel that you do it or else if you're just sending it from everywhere, you're showing how disorganized you are and how much actually you don't care about the person. And again, I don't care if they're in the US or internationally that no matter who you are is going to have trouble keeping track of that if they're sending me different things in different methods. Like with one person, it almost doesn't even matter like if you just had a Google Doc. But once you get more than one, that's when you especially need a son or something like that. Yeah, just think through it as a business owner and think about what it's like on their end. And if it sounds okay, then you're probably on the right path. <laughs> right. Well, thanks again for coming on, Molly. I don't know if there's any last words of wisdom you might have for the virtual assistants and or, or I guess anyone who's interested in hiring a virtual assistant. Yeah. So for those hiring, if you've been thinking about it and you're on the fence, we have two great commodities, I say, in, in life. And one is money. And you've probably reached that peak or you're, you might at some point. You know, they say happiness doesn't increase past, I think these days it's 80,000. That could be subject to who it is. But the other is time. And the only way to have more time, time for family, time for travel, time for all the things that we talked about or to build your amazing business is to get the right support. So just think about that for yourself and take action on it and start to address all the things on your plate that don't need to be there. And that'll start to create your job description and just kind of get your wheels spinning and, and see the relief that you could have. And then on the other side, those interested in being a virtual assistant, please reach out. Virtual Assistant Academy is the academy, virtualassistantacademy.com. I can't echo enough the opportunity this career has brought to me. I've traveled the world. I've made great, great money. And now I'm teaching people how to do the exact same thing with a lot of flexibility and happiness. So love to have you and train you and skip over all the pain that I had for several years. Hey, nice meeting you. Hey, same here, Austin. Well, cool. Well, thanks for joining that call on Friday. No, no problem. Thanks to you for having an awesome podcast and asking a blunt question. So do you charge for this or how does it work? You just want to help the Patreon members or? I just want to help you. Free call. Okay. Wow. And so what's the best way for someone to reach out to you, find out more about a virtual assistant or to thank you for doing the interview? Do you have an email or something like that? They can reach you and thank you. Yeah. So virtualassistantmanagement.com. And then I am mollyrosespeed at gmail.com. And Molly Rospeed on all socials. Nice. And yeah, there was one other thing that I forgot to mention too. When you're talking about even the weekly calls, that's one thing that I definitely implemented. I was even, I just did it once a month when I had four or five VAs. Like having those calls with your virtual assistant, just even 30 minutes, 
to be honest. If it's one person an hour, I'd say if it's more than that, but that helps when you're talking about retention is insane how much it helps it. And you don't think about it because you're like, I'm just hiring someone to do a job. But I mean, it's so important just to have those conversations. And that way I can hear what's going on in their life. That way, if they're struggling with something like we even talked about in the beginning that, hey, maybe my kid's sick. So maybe over the next week, I'm going to think that they're probably not going to be 100% thinking business, right? So having those meetings, like you said, help retention, but also help you know they're a real person. And that little tip definitely helps. So I'm glad you brought that back up. Yeah, absolutely. And just one more thing, because I wrote this down. I want to make sure I said it. Retention. You find a great person. You want to keep them. When you hire a new team member, I always recommend sending them a little survey. Like, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite restaurant? What's your favorite store? Whatever the questions are, candy, pop, soda, beer, liquor, whatever it is that you like to gift. And then you have this. So when it's their birthday, you know that they love Starbucks. You can send them a $25 gift card. I've worked for clients far too long because they sent me like a $100 gift card to anthropology. Like I felt cared about. So I was thinking of leaving and I'm like, oh, wait, no, I am a part of this team. All that stuff adds up. So retention, just think about them as people. You didn't even say this, but obviously you found out like their birthdays. That's one thing I always got from everybody. Even on those calls, let's just say you already have one and you forgot. Like, hey, it's fine. Just write in my calendar when your birthday is and those kind of things help. Or maybe it's when they first worked with you. You can make that a work anniversary or something like that. Just thinking off the top of my head of, like you said, these little things that you can do to show them that you care and other than just money, because not just money motivates them, right? They want the freedom. If they're a virtual assistant, that's why they are one, right? But having those little things, like you said, kept you on as a client when you were in that role. And that would keep me on because I'm like, okay, they actually care about me more than just as a worker bee, if you will. Yep, absolutely. Right. Well, thanks for coming on and sharing your story, Molly. Thanks so much for having me. But it's bad when you do it to your wife, though, because then you have to crash on the couch. (laughs) See, I have to sleep on the couch every night, too, man. See, we're the same. Was that helpful at all, Gary? Say no. (laughs) Worst experience of my life. One star review. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. I'm used to those. Wish I could leave no stars. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, no, thanks, guys. It was a really great experience. I feel like there's a lot to reflect on. So, yeah, thank you. And I can connect you with somebody, too. Okay. I have connections on that, so I can help you get it custom-made, dirt cheap. I'll share that with you. Look at that Patreon membership already paying off. Aw, look at that. Thanks for coming, member. Oh, well, I got to thank uh, my business partner. She signed me up because I've been talking about you. Well, awesome business partner. I'm going to have to use that as a plug to tell people to do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. But anyway, yeah, thanks for uh, setting this up. I get kind of the VIP treatment, I feel like. <laughs> well, I thought it was a lot more intimate than I thought it was going to be. Like anyone who's thinking about doing it, you'll be able to, to get involved, ask a question, you know, which... I don't have a lot of experience with other group calls, but I would assume that there's kind of a hierarchy to it. But this one, if you're in there, you're going to get your shot to ask an expert a question. So I tried to compare my group calls. I started joining random entrepreneur groups and just joining their group calls and try to see what they're like. Dude, the one you were on and all of them have kind of gone that way. They're all 10x better than any other group I've been in because become a member to find out. So with Patreon, I heard it many times because you have that many episodes of sign up. So that's always in the back of mind. But then I checked it out a few times and I was like, do I really want to do this? So I'll push it off a little bit. And then you posted your goal achievement of 69 Patreon members. And I was like, you know what, what better time than now? Originally, I was going to go for the lower one, the $9 a month. But one, I want to have the conversation with you. But two, I always find that anytime I cheap out, I always find that I want to return it and upgrade to what I really, really wanted. So that's why I'm paying the higher one, if that makes sense. But it was just constantly pushing it off, pushing it off. And then I was just like, fuck it. I already listened to all of them. So why not?